Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, I am celebrating 100th episode. I can't believe this is the 100th episode. And I'm very grateful for this movement. Before I introduce my 100th guest, I want to introduce my book, which is called A Gift from Adversity. It's the same title as this podcast. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness, and it's available on Amazon. After I published my book, I got a lot of messages from a lot of places and shared, shared their adversities. So I felt very compelled last year, January, to start a platform where people can come in and talk about their adversities but not only adversities, but also the tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So let's invite our 100th guest tonight. Milton, thank you so much for coming into a gift from Adversity Podcast tonight. Thank you so much for having me, especially being on your 100th episode. Congratulations. That is so exciting for you. I am so excited. And thank you so much for all of your support, just to let our audience know, Milton and I met on Clubhouse and then he has been such a big support of everything I do, especially this podcast as well. And he's been guiding me and encouraging me to keep <laughs> going. And tonight is our hundredth episode, which is an epic and I can't believe it. And I'm so grateful for all the guests who came on from all over the world. Yes, this is an excellent platform. And uh, I'm not surprised that you made it because you were so passionate about your mission and you were so passionate about the guests that you had on and what you were trying to accomplish. So congratulations. And I'm honored to be here as your 100th guest. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. So please tell our audience who you are, where you're coming in from tonight, and also what you do. And if you have social media or any website that you want to promote. Okay. So my name is Milton Young. I'm coming in from North Carolina right now. Um, and what I do is I'm a business development manager that specializes in sales training. And I also am the host of the What's Good podcast. Um, you can find the What's Good podcast on all of your major uh, podcast players from Apple to Spotify um, to Anchor. And um, yeah, that's it for um, Instagram. You can catch me at styles36styles. And um, you can just Google uh, the What's Good podcast and that'll pop up all over. So Milton, let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? So my adversity was done, um, one of my adversities, one of the major ones that I had was that um, when my parents moved here from Jamaica, they were immigrants. And when they got here, um, they actually weren't able to read or write. So you can imagine how difficult that was for me to be first trying out my school here in um, the United States and not having any kind of support in terms of going home and being able to do homework, going home and being able to uh, figure out the tests, um, even have some of the meetings with some of the guidance counselors. Um, and even more importantly, like I didn't have much support for like after school activities because my parents were working um, my mom was working like three jobs and my dad was working two jobs just to maintain and keep up with everything. So it was very, it was very difficult and it was very challenging for me to, um, like participate in school activities and be successful in, in school because the person that I was expected to teach me how to read or how to write couldn't do it. Where were you born in America? So I was born in Jamaica. And um, when I was five, we, uh, we, we migrated here. Um, my, my dad came over first and he worked for a while until he could afford to apply for me and my mother. And then we came over after. And it was at New York, was that North Carolina? Yeah, it was in New York. So we started out actually, when we first got here, my dad was working for a company called Boss Hotfield and it was a construction company. And um, they brought us to um, Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut which was a popular space for a lot of, you know, Jamaicans that were migrating. And then from, um, from Connecticut, they moved us up to New York, Saratoga. And I lived there for the whole time. And 
Boss Hatfield was based out of Albany. So a lot of the work that he did was in upstate New York around the Saratoga area. And that's when I spent most of my career and growing up. So as an immigrant and immigrant parents and child, you mentioned that the English part was hard and then after school um, programs and participation, navigating the life in America. When you were realizing those obstacles growing up, did you have any awareness that you are a little bit different than the other kid? And then did you actually maybe get bullied or teased? Yeah, most definitely. So, you know, Jamaica, the the kids there are really fast. They're really good athletes. And so when I was on the field, uh, when I played soccer, I was always outperforming my age group. Um, when I did track, I was at like, when I was in ninth grade, I was one of the fastest kids throughout the whole entire school. I think there was one senior that was beating me. Um, and so, yeah, I was special in the terms of that my athletic ability was so gifted. Um, and I was bullied, unfortunately. Um, the kids that were that I was outperforming would just make fun of me and kind of like try to isolate me just because I was different. I was a different color than them and I wasn't as smart as them, so to speak. And um, and then also some of the teachers as well when I was growing up because I my parents weren't contributing to, you know, some of the sponsorships or buying uniforms for the team. Um, they also kind of like pushed me off to the side, you know, even though I had the athletic ability to outperform some of the kids that were um, starting and I wasn't, they still made sure that, you know, I was kind of kept to the side. And instead of telling the other kids to speed up, they would tell me to slow down so the kids could keep up with me. So they really held me back in terms of my athletic ability and kind of made it seem like I was too fast and that there was something wrong with that and I needed to slow down. Um, so, yeah. And how about the area that you grew up with? You mentioned that not so many of your color of skin kids were there. No, there really wasn't. In Saratoga, it was absolutely white, very wealthy white um, people. Um, so I didn't really have, I think there were two other kids in my class that I can remember off the top of my head that were the same color as me. And we were pretty close because of that. It was like, a, it's something that just made us feel uh, connected, so to speak. Um, so yeah, we were, we were connected in that way. So that was maybe when you were in the elementary school, middle school? Yeah, so that was in um, middle school, um, elementary school. Elementary school, it was really bad. I mean, there were times where kids didn't want to play with me because I was a different color and all those things. Um, what I can say is that a lot of that changed once I got into high school. Um, I was taken in by a coach, Mr. Coach Johnson, and uh, he was the first person that um, really, really helped me um, like realized that being fast was something that was a gift and that it could help me with my education, that it could get me into college with a scholarship and that, you know, um, maybe I wasn't able, maybe I wasn't supposed to play team sports, that maybe I was supposed to do track, which was an individual sport and no one could really hold you back. It was just up to you and you were, it was a you against the clock. And um, so he had me run 100 meter dash and a 200 meter dash. And I really, really excelled at those events. What was your fast, um, fastest time? My fastest time in the 100 meter dash was 10.5 seconds. Yeah, it was really fast. It's still the school record to this day that I'm very, very proud of. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very fast. I was very fast. I think mine was 14 seconds. 14 seconds? That sounds about right. That sounds about right. That's quick. That is quick. <laughs> yeah. So Milton, how about in high school? I know elementary and middle school, you kind of touched that and then, and then Coach Johnson um, helped you. But um, is there any other things that happened in high school that kind of set you off or set you back? Um, yeah, so there was one other thing that happened in high school that set me back. So because I was being made fun of all the time and my because my parents were so busy working and they were so busy just trying to keep a roof over her head and trying to make ends meet that I didn't really get a lot of attention at home. So I started acting out in school and I was just doing silly things and being a class clown basically just to get additional attention. And I started getting a bad reputation for that because teachers thought I was just um, disruptive 
and that I was a, an attention seeker. And then instead of really trying to analyze what was going on with me at home, they kind of just made it seem like there was another thing that was wrong with me. There was another reason why I wasn't fitting in. And they just never really took the time to kind of understand that. And I think that's why Coach Johnson is someone that the first mentor I can say of the many that I was blessed with that kind of saw all that and said, you know, we're going to use this and we're going to focus it as like a superpower. And he made it so that I could um, be like a, this, when I was in ninth grade, he had me as a, a captain of the team. So it just made me, lead, it gave me leadership. It gave me responsibility. And um, it just took all the, the focus I wanted to be on me and made it a responsibility. You know, he said, if you're going to be one of the fastest people in the school, you need to set an example for the other kids. And I took it very serious at a young age. So, yeah. Did you experience any other adversity besides the discrimination and then bullying and isolation stuff? No, that was that was really it. That was really it. Um, and just like the fact that the education um, was a little bit difficult for me to pick up on um, just because I didn't have the support system back at home. So that really was difficult for me as well. Did you miss Jamaica? Oh, yeah. I didn't have a lot of memories about Jamaica because I was so young. But the ones that I did have, it made me miss it very much. I just remember it being a beautiful island with amazing fruit. It was always warm out. I didn't know what the snow was, I was <laughs> that I was touching that was um, giving me frostbite uh, or it felt like it at the time because it was so cold. I just missed my warm weather. So it was it was hard to adapt. I mean, I remember going to school and my mother would have me wear like five shirts because she didn't understand the cold either, you know? So I would get there and um, I remember I was getting a, a test from one of my doctors because they used to do like these checkups when you were a kid. And the doctor told me to sit on the, the, the table and I sat down like, okay, take your shirt off. So then I took the shirt off. Then he turned back and he goes, okay, you can take your shirt off. I took my other shirt off. And he's like, how many shirts do you have on? <laughs> So, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't well adapted to the cold and it was very obvious. So when you went to college, um, did you experience any of the discrimination or, or bullying? So, you know, it was really interesting. So um, even through all the struggles of not being able to have my, my parents teach me, I had my sister, Diane, who was very intelligent and um, she wanted to see me be the first to graduate from, high, from college. So even though my parents weren't work with me, anything that she learned, she would come home and teach me. And she took it very, very serious with me. So I was one of the first in our family and the first to graduate from a college, a very prestigious college, uh, Rensselaer Polytech Institute. It was probably one of the hardest things I'd ever done. Um, when I went there, I didn't experience any discrimination from the staff or anything like that. They were very welcoming. Um, I was coming on in a partial scholarship from the track that Coach Johnson had told me about. So um, they were excited to have me there. But what I did experience the, at college was that, you know, there was there was a lot of separation among the races, so to speak. Like if you went into the cafeteria, the blacks were with the blacks, the whites were with the black, whites. And it wasn't really mixing. They, it was, they didn't really, they kind of frowned on that a little bit, just the students. And uh, it really kind of turned me off toward, towards the school. So I kind of struggled to find my place because when, when I grew up in um, Saratoga, like it wasn't like that because there wasn't enough blacks for us to separate like that. And when we, our white friends accepted us like we were everybody else. So when I was going in and kind of experiencing a little bit of reverse discrimination where in a sense that I would be with um, hanging out with my black friends there and they'd be like, why are you hanging out with white people? And I was like, what are you talking about? It was reversed, you know, so um, that was really weird for me. So I never I was never really accepted at RPI because of that. Um, so I just went there to get my education and just kind of get out, you know. Wow. Yeah. So um, I, I'm just curious to learn about black culture a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I know you are not African-American. You are immigrant from Jamaica. But you consider you're considered as African-American. Yeah. And um, have you ever heard of people saying, oh, you don't talk like black. You don't oh, my goodness. I hear that all the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, people would think that it's just about, you know, a white person saying that to you. But you also have black people that will say that to me, too. You know, if um, Albany is probably one of the for where I was, it's, it's the most it's like the biggest city that we have in our area. 
And then whenever I would visit my friends there, they would make fun of the way that I, I talked because I didn't talk black enough or I didn't talk ghetto enough. And one thing in my country in Jamaica is um, they try very, very much once you leave the country to make it so you speak very, very proper English because they don't want people to realize that you're from Jamaica or treat you any differently. Um, and it's 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 reflective of the country because a lot of the respect you get and the different class system is based on how well you speak or in other words how white you speak. So how I spoke was very very important and my mother was very very um, strict on that on how proper I was speaking and how I was sounding. And also to be honest with you, I kind of had to do that. You know, when I was around Saratoga. I had to carry myself a certain way so that, you know, when I was pulled over by police or approached by certain things, I didn't give off the wrong um, impression and get myself in more trouble than I should. So I was very, very aware of that. I've always been very, very aware of those things. So it reminds me of my friend uh, that I met at Berkeley. I think she's from Michigan. And she wrote an uh, essay called Racism Within Racism. And yeah. she was talking like not black, so mm -hmm. she was bullied, pushed. She couldn't take bus, so she wrote an essay about it. And then she won a laptop. She came to Berkeley College of Music, super talented saxophonist and singer. Oh. But when I heard that story, I really um, was shocked that black people um, discriminate against each other, and then they supposed to kind of support each other, but. Yeah. You know, when you don't act certain way or exactly. play a certain way, that it's it's very strange to me. No, it is very strange, and it's very it's even more strange to um to to be witnessing and experiencing it. You know, especially when what we need to do is pull together and really help each other. Um, a lot of that is you know almost like crabs in a bucket. They just pull each other back into this hole because they refuse to help each other. So it's it's very frustrating, and you know. It's uh, it, it makes things a lot more complicated than they need to be. And it's so interesting that in Saratoga that you had a majority white people and then very few of minority. But then when you um, maybe maybe that outside the situation, objectively, I can see I can think that that can be more targeted, like small number. But then when you went to college, it's yeah. interesting that you felt experienced reverse discrimination that's very interesting it is it is it was the last place that i really expected it to be especially with an institution that was so prestigious i didn't expect to experience that at all but yeah it was very it was very obvious and very in your face when you uh, went there i mean literally there'd be uh, no one in the center of the cafeteria and on one side it's blacks so on the other side it's whites and it's, it made absolutely no sense you know hmm. um Joseph Safari, who came on the show, episode 99, he's live with us. Um, he just commented, thank you for sharing with us. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Thanks for joining. Yes, absolutely. So is there anything else in terms of the adversity that you experience in life that you want to share with our audience? Um, no, not right now. <laughs> That is okay. So experiencing these things when you are young and when you became adult, did you kind of have sustain of maybe self-esteem self -esteem issues or fear of the social settings, et cetera? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. Because you don't know when it's going to stop. You know, you don't know when someone's looking at you as a person or when someone's looking at you as a black person or, you know what I mean? Or, um, you know, sometimes even to this day when you go in for, for job interviews and, you know, or you start working for someone, you know, sometimes the, you kind of feel like you're not really, really sure. Okay. Why did I get to that? Earn this job? Am I getting it because I need to meet some kind of, you know, you know, um, affirmative action thing or am I, or am I here? because um, I'm as good as I think I am, or they keep me here because I have to. You're constantly questioning yourself sometimes just because of the things that you've experienced, things that you've heard. Um, and you're, you're just constantly reminded of, of, um, of that discrimination. You know, Even when I'm driving to this day, you know, um, 
some of my friends, when they're driving, they have no concern about being pulled over or, um, you know, speeding or doing something stupid. I am very, very cautious about that. Whenever I see a police officer, my heart starts speeding 20 times faster. And it's always been that, always through high school. Um, it's been it's been like that with me. And my friends never really had to deal with that. Some of them were, um, their fathers were judges um, or lawyers. So they would literally get away with anything that they did. Whilst other people that look more like me, um, they would get punished almost twice as bad for the same thing, you know? So I'm very much aware of it. And it follows me through uh, throughout my life. And it always will. I mean, it's something that I have to be cautious about. Even when I was moving to North Carolina, if I'm being 100% honest, you know, there's this is a beautiful area. The people are very friendly, but I had to be very cautious about the area that I was moving to because it's the down south. They do think things a little differently. And um, some places people like me aren't always welcome, you know, so that's something that's always going to be following me. And I think I'm a little grateful that I was introduced to it when I was younger so I can witness it when it's there. And I just been kind of trained, honestly, with my friends and my experiences and how to react to it. So I'm, I keep myself safe and I keep other people safe as well. But it's nothing that'll ever go away. Unfortunately, I kind of lost hope on that. I just want to exp um, express how grateful I am, not only that you are my 100th guest for the podcast, but also being so honest about racism. But to be honest with you, you are not American, you're Jamaican. And yeah. then I am Japanese, I'm not American, I became a citizen. Yeah. But I definitely felt not as extreme as black uh, people, but definitely some of the biases and discriminations. And yeah. where was it? Last week I was working and then I just didn't want to talk to this person because I had I was dealing with so many different things. And then she's like, can you speak English? I'm like, yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. I sometimes tell my black friend, you get you guys get discriminated by skin of color, but my discrimination experience is that I get discriminated about my intelligence. Ah, uh, yeah. Like, are you dumb? Like, are you doing yeah. yeah. stuff? So I'm like, I've written 400 articles and yeah. most of them are front covers. Yes, I do. <laughs> and I have a book. I'm an author. I'm a proud author. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. it's interesting that, you know, no matter where you're from, Something. As, you know, people have these biases. And then um, that goes not only this country, but mm -hmm. Japan too. And then I never really had black friends. Mm -hmm. And I only had one friend who's from Congo. Okay. And one of my Japanese friends uh, who came to America, and then she was explaining to me on the way to here, the person next to her was black man and she was terrified so i'm like why are you terrified like because we don't we're not exposed to not exposed to it yeah so like when you don't have this experience that it's people so actually yeah um fear it's true right? yeah so i think that goes to um black folks too maybe like you know when like i think it's just Racism is such a big thing that we, like you said, maybe it's hard to go away and you have to kind of navigate through. My children yeah. are mixed. And yeah. then they are like, unfortunately, they had experience since young. Like my daughter, yeah. as cute as she is, five years old. She's adorable. Thank you. I think she's so cute. But she did. She was called, um, what are you? To Brown is doing here. My son was called Black Monkey Negro. Yeah. And it's like so crazy to me. And how would you deal with that? Like what what do you think some of the worst racist racism, like racial wars, slurs that you've heard when you were growing up? That you oh, the, the the list goes on and on. I mean, things that didn't even make sense, like from Spare Chucker to yeah to uh liver lips because i have a big lips uh moon cricket because i don't even know what that is um porch monkey like uh raccoon coon um there's another one that i got in trouble with in high school because 
they the boy thing like someone a grown man calling you a boy hey boy get over here boy like that little slang it's really derogatory and i get really upset when people to this day when people see, who use that boy thing to me um but yeah the list you used to go on and on and my dad i used to come home and i would be sad and he would tell me what they would say and then he never helped because he would always well say well call them this or call them that <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I can't, there's too many of them, you know? Um, but, you know, I just learned from a young age and I'm telling you, it really does pay off because at a young age, I learned to let it roll over my shoulders because there's too many of them. I can't beat them all up. I can't do anything. So I have to let it roll over my shoulders. So now if I get pulled over and there's a police officer that's just harassing me, you know, there was a time where I got pulled over and the police officer, the first question he asked me for, and he was pulling me over because I forgot to put on my my uh, indicator for changing a lane. He asked me if I had any felons, if I had any warrants out for my arrest. That was the first question he asked me. So I asked him, I said, do you ask everybody that question um, when you first pulled him over? And he said, yes. And I said, even if you pull over a mother in a, a minivan and she has three kids in the back? And he was like, I'll be right back with your license. So it's just little things like that you have to, and I had to disengage because then, you know what I mean? It could turn into something else and it could become more dangerous. But those little things, those little jabs, it's the same thing when those little kids were in high school, they used to jab and poke at me and I just learned not to react. So it's almost the same thing now. So I'm happier. I'm happy that I was exposed to it because I know I know how to deal with it. But it's sad. It's, it's sad and it's unfortunate, you know, and it still happens to this day with other kids. My heart breaks for you. And oh. As a mom who has mixed kids, like I fear for their, yeah, you know, future. And my son was telling me that some people told him you don't sound black or something. Yeah, <laughs> like what does that mean? You know? Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Do you know what one person told me about my name? He said that. Um, he said that I was lucky that I have a white man's name because I'll have a better chance of getting hired and loans and all this thing. And um, when I came back and told my dad, he's like, well, he's right. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not funny, but it's true, you know, and it's kind of sad that those type of things are, are still going on. But um, that's what it is. No, it's, it's a reality just to let you and the audience know that I met somebody um, that was talking about MIT research um, that they sent two identical resumes to different companies with yeah. one white name, one black name, and 80%, at like eight to two ratio. So only 20% black name got called back for an in-person interview. However, the resume was completely identical. Unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable, but it's true. I believe that, unfortunately. In your opinion, Milton, living in this country as a Black man and successful um, business, per business person, like, like, why do you think this keeps happening? Like, you know, as somebody who experienced it most than, you know, obviously me, like, like how would you internalize this i internalize it by just realizing that it's ignorance and that it's ignorance that's been bred down from generation after generation after generation and it's bred out of fear and bred out of not understanding um i can tell you this story um and i hope it sits well with your audience so when i was growing up there was this bully that used to chase me around on his moped and it was a very very fast moped and I would have to run extremely fast to get away from it because he was chasing me to beat me up. And um, when I went to go tell his dad about it, his dad was re reinforcing the behavior and basically told me to get my black ass off his property. So my cousin actually started, um, tried to date his sister or the guy's daughter. And he wrote a letter to, to her telling her that if, she see, if he sees her with him again, that he's going to bury the both of them in the backyard. So um, that news got back to my mother. She was very upset. She went down to talk to him. The conversation didn't go very well. 
but um and my mom basically told me to stay away from those people never interact with them again and uh, that was that for a while would you believe me that if i told you that i continued to interact with that guy and i was as nice as i possibly could every time i saw him i addressed him with respect i was just ridiculously kind to him and eventually he ended up changing and he ended up telling me that, you know, I didn't, you were the first person that I've been exposed to like this. And I thought, I thought this and I thought that, but you proved everything wrong about what I thought for my preconceptions about black people. And would you believe that my mother became his uh, barber and she was cutting his hair for like the last five or six years of him being on this planet? Um, and they became good friends. And he told her too that it was out, it was just out of fear. I didn't know any better. It was what my dad taught me, and it's all that I knew um, until you guys moved into the neighborhood, you know. And he saw how hard my mother worked that she had two job, three jobs, and my father was working. He had two jobs, and we did really, really hard to keep our property right, and we never got back on tap. Nothing, you know. We weren't lazy, and he ended up coming around. So that really taught me, like you know, until people experience. And they they just open themselves up to try something different, and they are just trusting. You know what I mean? They just give something an opportunity. They can see that a lot of the preconceived misconceptions are just that. You know, they're not real and they're fake. And um, so, in my mind, a lot of times the way I look at it is they just don't know any better, and they don't know any better because the people that are responsible for teaching them don't know any better either you know so it's my responsibility to be who i am and show them that they're wrong i so. really respect what you had done to this person because that can be a ripple effect for other people in the community yeah. i just it just triggered me a story when i was 18 19 i was sent to this country as emissary um one of the elite program from the japanese government greeted yeah. by japanese crown prince and crown princess now emperor and empress so oh. because the government sent me to america when i went back this is when i was 18 i had to do a lot of community work one of it was the panel use panel um uh, obligation opportunity kind of because mm -hmm. i went to i was sent by government um it was very interesting because oda was supporting um the history teacher from southeastern asian countries to come and see japan as is because of the world war ii that they were so afraid of us and then even the economy rose a lot of relationship that prime minister nakasone so in southeastern asian countries were booing him and then not welcoming him and he thought grassroots relationship had to be um, fixed so korea was not included so one year they decided to invite Korean history teachers to this camp program where I was invited to as a youth panel. So we did activities together and we did some uh, talent show together. We wore traditional um, Korean um, attire, Japanese attire at the end of celebration of the third okay. day. Interestingly, their history book is showing the Japanese soldier like one of the teacher was saying um pouring hot water in um korean people's throat to torture them and oh, yeah. so the graphic memories or um history books that are in korea are completely like japanese people evil scary uh, monsters so that they made me and i'm not like that at all yeah that was that was the whole point of japanese government government setting aside about ODA to basically uh, do the conflict resolution for our economy, for our relationship moving forward. So wow. that, my US story triggered me of why I was sent there. So wow. it's really the education, like you mentioned. So not only this country, but throughout you know, the world and world history and wars, intergeneration, intergenerational trauma, Yes, that's a good point. That's a powerful word. Yes, that, you know, we have to address that. So thank you so much for bringing this to light and then shedding um, light to these very issues that not so many people are brave enough to talk about. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much.
Sure. So let's move on to the second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome. So this is my hundredth episode again. And then all my guests who went through extreme adversities and challenges in their lives, they have so many different ways and tools, unique tools that they shared on this podcast that I actually was able to apply for myself and for my children as well. So Milton, of all the tools that you've used to overcome your challenges and adversities, what do you think is the most powerful one or good one, tangible one that you can share with our audience? You know what? I think there's a few of them, but I think the one that's the most tangible and the most powerful is really um, a good support system, a good support system of people that know you well, that you can trust, that are level-headed, that in some cases are experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing, but they just have a different perspective that they can share with you that can help alter whatever your experiencing is, you know? Um, I think with a support system, you know, people will support you when you need it because you can't always be strong. You can't always have all the right answers from yourself, you know? Um, and sometimes just reaching out to that right person that has the, the same experience with you, that knows you very well, can just say the one or two, three words that will just completely change your perspective of the situation that you're dealing with and give you some insight and inspiration to over, overcome it and move on, you know? So I think that's probably one of the most powerful tools that I have, just a really strong, trustworthy support system. And I just want to shout out to Coach Johnson. <laughs> yes, Coach Johnson. <laughs> what do you think your life would have been if you never met him? You know, that's an excellent question. And, you know, I can honestly say I wouldn't be where I am today because, you know, one of the things that Coach Johnson gave me a tool was confidence. And he he gave me um, the confidence that other people were trying to take away from me, but he built, he built me up so much that no matter how much they took away from me, I still had so much more. And um, he gave me the ability to really excel at my talent and take it to the next level. And he gave me all the support that I needed. And without that, I wouldn't have gone into RPI because I wouldn't have been able to afford it. I didn't have the grades to, but with my grades and my athletic ability and him just being like this inspiration and uh, mentor for me on and off the field. I mean, he really, really altered the path of my future. And I, I really appreciate him for being so different and being so dedicated to me. And he didn't care, you know, what my background was, what my parents did or, you know, the fact that I was, you know, from Jamaica or an immigrant, he just pay, paid attention to my talent. He gave me a platform and he just gave me as much support as he possibly could, you know, both on and off the field. So that man single-handedly did alter my life. And I really appreciate it. I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. And I know you mentioned about good support system, trustworthy people. How do you find these people? How do you select these people? and identify these people? Well, you know, honestly, if I'm being very, very honest, you're one of those people. And I found you on Clubhouse. And I found you through networking. And I identified you by your integrity. Um, you know, once I, read, when I, once I read your book, um, I remember you were in a Clubhouse room and you were talking about the fact that you were an author. And you were talking about some of the things that you had experienced in life. And I said, this is someone that, you know, I would like to read this book. And once I read the book, I just fell in love with, you know, everything that you you represented, you know, and everything that you had struggled with and everything that, you know, you had turned from something bad to a gift and you use it to, you know, create this amazing platform to other people to express themselves, that incredible, the gift of um, a gift from adversity, the book that people read and also inspired and then your your beautiful family that you're 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 growing and raising a young a beautiful young woman and a beautiful young man and your dedication and your commitment to that is unyielding so of course i want to have you in my support system <laughs> because of everything that you believe in and the way that you are passionate about the things that you believe in you know it's a big deal that you made it to 100 episodes i mean most podcasts don't make it past episode 5 and uh, you've made this a passion for yourself to go out and find people 
and give them a voice and give them a platform. And you've done it for a hundred different people. And I think that's absolutely amazing. So yeah, you know, you have to look and you have to really look at their character and see what they're going through and see how you relate. And I relate a lot to your story and some of the adversity that you you face. So it just made sense for us to be friends and add you to my support system. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you so much, Milton. Yeah. I really appreciate you. And I just want to touch base a little bit more in depth about mental health too. So when you are getting bullied and, you know, getting this racial slur thrown at you and then you have to, you mentioned that you have to roll off or. Um, off my shoulders, roll it off my shoulders. Yeah. So like, how, how do you do that? Like, you know, like, how do you like, let go at some point? And then no. what are the tools that you, you are using? Yeah. So, you know, one of the other things that I did was, you know, I made, I, I, uh, I guess it was bad, but it worked at the time. If I was making fun of myself and I turned it into a joke, then no one could make fun of me and no one could bully me because I was bullying myself. And if they were too busy laughing, then they couldn't make fun of me or tease me or anything. So a lot of it, I just would just kind of deflect it. I would try to deflect it and turn it into something funny if they said something stupid to me, I would try to turn it into a joke and they'd start laughing. And then when people are laughing, you can kind of, you know, change the, mo the, 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 the moment, you know, and that's what I would kind of use. I was almost an alchemist in the sense that, you know, I would take something negative that, you know, they were making fun of me and then I would turn it into a joke and they would like me because I was funny. So that was my, one of my other tools that would just kind of transform what they were saying and just make it funny. And then we can laugh about it and you're not making fun of me anymore. And now you think I'm funny. So you want to be my friend. <laughs> it's such an interesting tools and good point that, you know, a lot of times what happens externally can be really reacted differently to move forward or dwell into the incident. Yeah. So, to ruin your day, to ruin your mood over something stupid yeah. that has no um, sense, then, you know, what is your day would look like? Mm -hmm. Let yourself bully more than what you should have, you could have, you know what I mean? Okay. So um, I, I'm learning still. Sometimes like, you know, people say things and it hurts me. And then sometimes it affects me. And as a single mom, it's a struggle. Uh -huh. And, you know, like what you said, like sometimes people say something and then make it turn it into a joke. And then sometimes me and my children, uh, we do some role play games. So what if somebody says this, somebody said that? Or um, he told me, well, somebody said, you're ugly. And then he said, instead of crying over it or reporting it to me, he said, well, I don't see you on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody said, oh, you're stupid. And then he said, are you talking to me or talking to yourself? <laughs> see, it's the same thing, deflecting. It's, it's so, it's just misdirection and it throws them off and it, it takes the power away of what they're trying to do because they're realizing like, oh, I didn't hurt you. Oh my goodness, that that was supposed to hurt. That was supposed to take you down a notch, you know, and it, it didn't. So yeah, that's that's very smart. That's a very smart thing to do. One time I was uh, doing trash man, and then um, why are you doing trash man or something? So I said because this is not 1950s. We in 19, we have a gender equality right now. <laughs> and the man couldn't say anything back to me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Oh, did you buy a time machine? <laughs> so these kind of things are you know completely um reflex instead of getting upset and then ruining your day and it's yeah. so, and i didn't learn it until later in my life so right. i really wasted my days crying and being depressed and crying and there's no reason um like like the man that you addressed patiently that yeah. ran at the end um you know he was miseducated and mis misled and then you know somebody had to guide him in the right direction that we are all equal and we are all talented and then in our own way exactly. and we should 
I'm Japanese, <laughs> but you know, I'm living in America, and this was right. the country that I wanted to live. And That's I'm, right. I think I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> and yeah, then, <laughs> so I feel that sometimes those kind of um, challenges that you go through, you also write about deflecting and then making not so much of a joke, but um, being a witty, being being yes. witty and just having a good comeback. You got it. That's so true. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's very true. Just being quick witted and on your feet, just thinking very faster than they can. And it just throws them off and it disarms them a little bit. And I learned, you know, Trevor Noah, um, a lot of comedians and stuff that are extremely, extremely eloquent and educated and then makes joke about it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it helped me to get those kind of perspectives. So it's interesting that you said to make a joke out of it and stuff. Yeah. You know, watching very intelligent comedian do that, I think that helped me as well. Yeah, it helped me too. It helped me too. It helped me relate and make it. And I didn't feel as alone when I saw that they were on such a big stage and they had so much money and so much success and they were still experiencing it on a certain level, you know? It's really strange where, you know, I look at some of the work that David Chappelle talks about and about how he was treated with the network and, you know, his how his ideas were accepted and or not accepted. And sometimes when he's, some of the jokes that he's talking about, I really relate to. And it's, it's, it's actually comforting to feel like, wow, even someone that talented and that successful still experiences, is experiencing what I'm experiencing. And it shouldn't be comforting, but it is in the sense that, you know, it's not only me, you know, and I'm not going crazy. I'm not making this up because this man is speaking the same thing. The only thing is he's camouflaging it to a joke. You know what I mean? He's making it more socially be ex accepted because it's a joke and everyone can laugh. But in all reality, you know what they say, like a joke is only funny if there's some truth to it, you know? So, and David Chappelle's a very funny guy. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Funny intentionally. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the one thing I talk to my children about racism is that I went to Africa and I was the probably the lightest skin in yeah. Africa. And then when you go to certain countries, so when you go to Japan, even you're white, like you got, you're gonna be called gaijin, which is outsider. Oh, you, really? Wow. You will never be accepted, unfortunately, in our country. And then, because you're not Japanese. Yeah. I had a white man who lived in um, Japan for like 30 years, and he said he never felt accepted, accepted. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it depends on whatever the color of skin, majority of people around you. Right. You to a different place in the world, mm -hmm. you suddenly become a minority suddenly. This is true. So I feel like, you know, in order to understand racism and bullying and stuff, I one of the tools that I highly recommend is to travel the world. 100%. You become minority. Yeah. And I was, um, my, my hair was touched all the time when I was in Africa because I had a go. <laughs> yeah, that surprise, yeah. Red and then green hair color. Yeah. And then it was so cute, but you know, I everywhere I go, I'm be usually only Japanese. So yeah. I, I don't consider myself as minority. Like I'm a go getter, so I don't really yeah. think about those things. But when you start to become more conscious about your race and then mm -hmm. your status um, uh, as an immigrant, yes. and I think that can add a lot too. I agree with you. That's one hundred percent true. I do agree with you. I do agree with you. So last question I have for you, Milton, is a gift that came from the adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? One of the gifts that um, came from the adversity is I call it perseverance, right? Um, I've learned to persevere through almost everything that I've been put in front of me just because I've learned that you're one, like I was saying, I'm not the only one that's going through it. Two, that, you know, it's not going to just end. It's not going to go away. So you have to find a way to just keep on going no matter what. And just having that, this, this adversity that's constantly in front of me, that's constantly testing me, I realize that I have to be bigger than it. So I have to continue to persevere. And through perseverance, you get confidence and confidence kind of protects you from everything else. So one of the biggest gifts I've gotten has definitely been able to the perseverance, you know, just that no matter what you're dealing with, 
be it racism, be it, you know, other parts of things that can go wrong in your life, discrimination, or even if you're just having a bad day, know that it will get better and that you just have to outlast the moment and the situation. And, you know, I outlasted high school. I outlasted elementary school. I got through college. Um, I've been very successful in corporate America. Um, so all of it is just through just being determined to persevere through the situation and know that I'm bigger and, and stronger and smarter than the situation itself. You know, and if I can outlast the situation, um, this too shall pass, you know? So that's one of my, my gifts. Quick question. How would you describe the word perseverance? Perseverance is, you know, for you to persevere means that there's obstacles that are thrown in front of you and you continue to go. Even if there's something in your way, you find a way to go around it, like water. You don't let anything stop you. Um, just like you, like you don't let anything stop you with your with your busy your busy schedule, with making sure you have time for your family and you're raising them the way that you are and you still get all of the things that you've done, even with your acting and nothing gets in your way. And uh, you don't even know what it's like to have something in your way. <laughs> It's the same thing with perseverance for me. It's like, I don't let anything get in my way. And no matter how big the situation is, I'm bigger. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Recently, I came up to this mantra, success never comes overnight, but over time of your consistent and diligent hard work. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like that. That's very true. That's very accurate. That's very accurate. Before you go, Milton, I want to ask you a favor. If anyone who is listening to part, this podcast, 100th episode of Gift of Adversity and in the future as well, what um, if somebody is experiencing racism, bullying, or isolation, mental health issues, what is your biggest advice for them? My biggest advice is for them to know that they're not alone, that other people have experienced it, and in some cases, maybe even worse than you're currently experiencing it. Um, but just to know that, you know, racism is a disease. Um, and I think it's rotting the country and it rots certain people and don't let it do that to you. Um, whatever is being spewed towards you, the hate, the hate or the anger or the disrespect, just let it know, just be known that it's ignorance and it's no reflection of who you are or what you're worth or what your value is. And that it's just anger and ignorance. And you can't do much about ignorance. You can't do, you can't control someone else's anger. So try to separate yourself from the situation, get yourself a support system, you know, so you can talk to about it instead of reacting to it and know that that moment will pass it too. But just 100%, just make sure you know that you are not alone and the hate that's being spewed is no reflection of who you are. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you to our audience for continuing your support. And I have more wonderful guests coming in. And thank you, Milton, again, for coming into A Gift from Adversity, 100th episode. Congratulations on your 100th episode. I'm absolutely honored to be your 100th guest. I look forward to seeing more episodes. The work that you're doing is amazing. You're, um, you're providing a wonderful platform for a lot of people that have amazing stories. And Thank you for your work, and I look forward to listening to more of your episodes.